Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? Yo, what's up, man? Um, You know, I was actually just thinking about you. I'm I'm listening to last week's episode, just remembering, recalling what we'd said. While I have you here, let me just put it on speaker so you can actually take a listen, too. Here's my take on Portland. Portland's a cute team. They're a cute team. They've got Dame. They've got firepower. Yes, they they look great during the regular season. They get waxed year in, year out. They're not going to sniff the lake. They're going to get swept 4-0 against the lake. Or maybe they'll get one. They'll get they'll lose in five, Max. What, honestly, what do you have to say for yourself? Look, I stand by my comments. Now, I probably shouldn't have used the word cute. Uh, I, I think I'd like to think that Dame was listening to Thick and Thin. And, you know, he gets a lot of his fuel from, from the haters, from Skip Bayless and I'd like to think he listened to this pod and, and thought, look, let me show these guys up. Let me show what I can do. But everything I said, I stand by. What did I say? I didn't say he's not going to dominate in the bubble. I didn't say Portland's not going to get the eight seed. I said when it comes to the playoffs and they're in a first-round matchup, he's going to fizzle. That's what I said. If he continues to do this and they push the Lakers to six or seven, then I'll admit I'm wrong. But for now, guess what? He hasn't done it yet. You basically said that Portland and Washington are serving the same purpose in the bubble, which is absolutely no nothing. Um, the question I have for you, actually, is do you think you, you know, in terms of the rankings of who pissed off Dame the most in the last week, how would you stack up yourself versus Skip versus uh, the Clippers bench? I got to be top five. I actually think below Skip, he's directly called out Skip, but I think I'm, I'm close to the Clippers bench. There's even oh. parody accounts of Dame Lillard going after Skip that have like a hundred thousand <laughs> likes that I'm not sure if everyone recognizes or not uh, his actual Twitter account. But here we are in 2020. It's I mean okay look I'll I'll give credit where credit's due. He's been phenomenal and to top a 50 point game with a 60 point game and that three that you know kind of bounced up in the air forever. Look you can't you can't hate on that, that guy, but at the same three. time it's a it's it they had to get 60 from Lillard to squeak by Dallas. So is this team going to really threaten the Lakers? I don't, I still don't think so. So, well, so we are of course recording this Wednesday night, which is unfortunate because basically everything is going to be set 24 hours from now. So by the time a lot of you listen to this, if you listen throughout the day tomorrow, some of these things are already going to have occurred, but you know, we have a fast and furious finish, which is exactly what the NBA had hoped for when they instituted this 8-9 playing game. So Portland has now actually overcome Memphis. I think when we talked about it last week, they were right on their heels. So they've overcome Memphis for the 8th seed. Then it goes Memphis, Phoenix, who's 7-0, and and San Antonio, who's played awesome as well, um, as the four teams, you know, all of which have a shot at both 8 and 9. That's the crazy thing, right? Even the Spurs can get up to 8. Um, and they all play tomorrow. So where do you think this actually shakes out? Is the Phoenix, Devin Booker, Cinderella run going to end with at least a play-in performance? Or how, what are you thinking about in terms of um, you know, who you have slotting in? Well, the first thing I'll say is uh, this couldn't have worked out any better for the NBA. Now, New Orleans didn't make it, which obviously is what the NBA wanted. But when you think about it, everyone is questioning whether they should be bringing this many teams from the West Four teams are in contention for the last spots. It's all coming down to these last couple of games um, or the last game. And ultimately, Memphis 
you know, you can argue that they kind of got screwed through this, but they still have a really good shot at getting the eight seed. Like, no matter what you say about, you know, maybe they were hosed by the fact that they have to play in a play-in game, and, you know, when they were three and a half games up on the eight seed, well, guess what? They still have control of their destiny to get that eight seed, um, despite playing like shit in the bubble. Uh, they don't, though, because now Portland just has to beat Brooklyn, and they're locked in at eight. Memphis, oh, Memphis, can, can't, Memphis, Memphis can't is okay. now in nine, so they can be nine, right? They have they control their destiny as far as making it um, into the playing game. All they have to do is beat uh, Milwaukee's B team, but you know. But to your point, they had a lot of bad luck, right? The first is like you said, they had a pretty much a death grip on number eight going into this weird pandemic bubble, but that was just kind of the way of the world. The second thing is they caught almost no load management games throughout the bubble um, until tomorrow where Giannis got suspended uh, for headbutting uh, my boy Mo Wagner. They actually basically played everyone's stars. Um, and so they got unlucky in that in that regard. And then, and then they lost Jaron Jackson. Right. So. Justice Winslow before the bubble and then Jaron Jackson halfway through. It's it's unfortunate, but it's a young team. They're not going anywhere. They'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, I think it worked out as well as it could for the NBA. And Dame has been lighting it up, right? That's a uh, another team that's in contention for the 8 and 9. So I think, here's my prediction. My prediction is I think it's going to be Portland and Memphis. I think Memphis beats Milwaukee's B team. I know Milwaukee's B team is pretty good. Um, just Memphis just needs it more. And the same thing with Portland. Like, as impressive as Brooklyn has been, which has been really impressive. Incredible. Um, I, I think Portland just they just need this game more and you know they're not coming off a of back to back they've had a day off it's I think it's going to be Portland Memphis and I do think Portland will win. Um, so yeah, two points I want three points I want to make here. First is I actually think the Bucks are going to pull it off versus Memphis. I think you know coming down the stretch, Jaws those young legs. He's not ready for this moment. This is the biggest game of his career. And I think Devin Booker is going to Jedi mind trick him into somehow fucking this game up. And <laughs> Memphis is going to lose. Phoenix is going to complete the 8-0 eight, eight Cinderella bubble experience and play Portland in the um, playing game. But that's where it ends. I think wow. Portland is going forward into the 8th seed. They're going to beat – let me just say, they're going to beat whoever they play on Saturday. Because they know they cannot go into basically – two straight playoff games, Saturday, Sunday, essentially, and then start a seven-game series versus the Lakers, presumably on Tuesday. It's just going to be too taxing. So they need to do whatever they can to get that rest. So they're going to go out on Saturday as if it's do or die for them, too. But it's going to be against Phoenix, not Memphis. Second point, you mentioned New Orleans. I'm really embarrassed by the showing of the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, They were talking themselves up. J.J. Redick, others were like, you know, if the season had kept going, I think we would have made the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. We had the easiest schedule down the stretch, et cetera. Now, you don't get the same kind of easiest schedule in that there's no Knicks, Cavs, Pistons, et cetera. But you had by far the easiest of any of the bubble teams, and you still lost to Sacramento. You still lost to San Antonio. You still got smoked by the Clippers and others. And basically, you ran a, you know, turnstile defense for eight games expecting to just outscore people zion's 30 pounds overweight the whole thing was a total epic mess i don't know if you saw lonzo's stats but they were god awful um 
And he was actually playing pretty decently before the shutdown. So, look, it's a small sample size, but not what you want to see from this team that was basically given the crown, um, you know, before they really earned it. And thirdly, you mentioned the Nets. I just want to talk about how sick I am from the Wizards' bubble performance. <laughs> it's not about going 6-2 and two and making this play. Like, that was never on the cards the second Beal stepped out, right? Yeah. But have some fucking just general self-respect, right? Go out there and try to compete. Like, here's the big problem. You have guys that the Wizards brass is convinced are part of that future core alongside Wall, Beal, and Bertans. And I know they're all in an elevated role and they're all young. They looked horrible for the most part. Um, and again, it's not about the wins and losses. It's like, how are you playing? Are you playing the right way unselfishly? Are you hustling on defense? They caught a lot of teams resting guys. And it didn't matter. It was still an L every single night. They lost the three exhibition games. They're probably going to lose tomorrow to Boston, even though, you know, Paul Pierce and John Havlicek are basically the guys out there for him in that lineup. And that's going to be 0-11 in the bubble. And I'm expecting them to bring Scott Brooks back next year. Just another fucking waste of a year. To me, that's not even that disappointing because, you know, you, you think about the Wizards. They they're brought to the bubble. None of those guys wanted to be there. You're literally there without your star player. I bet these guys aren't even putting in the time in practice, aren't really gearing Why up. Why not? Games. You don't you think that's an embarrassment? That's an embarrassment. I think it was worse for Sacramento, who literally had every reason to play hard and were loafing and lost to an Orlando team, San Antonio, Brooklyn, without all their stars. So uh, I think there have uh, been Sacramento more Sacramento deserves its separate and equal amount of shit for what yeah. they did but, as well. You know, your, your point of... Look, you have all these young players. Ideally, you have eight games to see what you really have. And, you know, this is where you can get some great performances from the young guys. And at least a glimpse of, okay, this is a core that outside of Beal makes sense to invest in. But I feel like you didn't really learn anything about this roster. So it it, it felt like the eight games were completely useless for the Wizards. So from that standpoint, I I get it. Exactly. It's like... I mean, this starts with Scott Brooks. He's a totally overmatched coach. He's so obsessed with positional alignments. This is the guy who played Kendrick Perkins and Derek Fisher big minutes for the Thunder because he was like, I need a point guard and I need a center, you know. But the thing is, you go look at a team like Brooklyn, and this is why it made me think of them, because Brooklyn does not have Durant. They don't have Kyrie. They don't have Spencer Dinwiddie. They don't have uh, DeAndre Jordan. They have an interim coach. They fired Kenny Atkinson like two weeks before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they went, I think, four and three so far or four or five and th- two or something like that. They're, they're five they're, and two, I think. Yeah. And they beat the Clippers. They beat the Bucks, And like not maybe every guy on the, those teams were always playing. But, you know, those are real wins. Mm-hmm. And – Everyone had just penciled the Nets to fall to eight and Orlando to take go up to seven. And that didn't happen. And, you know, look, you you go down and there's a couple lineup data points I want to bring up with the Lakers. But the fourth best net rating of any five man lineup that played 25 minutes or more is the Nets, um, essentially their starters. Right. Temple, Harris, Levert, Allen and Kuroks. I mean, that's legit. I know maybe Levert is better than anyone that played for the Wizards, but. That's about coaching and motivation or something. I don't know. Levert is is good, but look, Garrett Temple, you've done a stint with Garrett Temple. I've oh, done a yeah. stint with Garrett Temple or the Kings have. He's he has no business I starting and making like meaningful contributions to a, a winning basketball. Um he's right. he's a 
great vet, solid guy, but the fact that he's putting in major minutes and playing really well uh, says everything about how well they're coached and how I don't know. Like that, exactly. that's the kind of performance you want to see from your team. Right. You're not you're not winning the title, but show me you have something. Anyway, I don't let's not derail the whole podcast because this is still positive. We're moving towards playoff basketball finally. But before we do so, the big other news story that kind of percolated this week is um, they had mentioned previously that family was going to be allowed in some capacity after the first round. So basically you get rid of the um, the six teams that didn't make the playoffs and then eight more, obviously, that get eliminated after round one. Um, so you have some more room in the bubble. So what are the rules that they put forward um, that, that I think Woj and Shams were reporting on as far as what is allowed and isn't allowed? Yes, the official stance was that players will be allowed to bring in family and established long-standing personal friends. That's how it leads. Um, and then, you know, there's some eligibility criteria that was also mentioned as part of the memo. And I'll read it out verbatim. It's any individual the player has not previously met in person or with whom the player has had limited in-person interactions. For example... Uh, known by the player only through social media or uh, an intermediary. <laughs> so the social media, I mean, already you, you get the sense of what they're trying to accomplish, but the moment he has the word social media in there, it clearly screams IG thought. Um, no IG no thoughts a lot of the bubble. And of course, Twitter and everyone's been having a field day with this. But look, I think this is just a guideline. I think ultimately... These thoughts are going to get, and if a player wants, they're going to come Dude. in. I don't think they're going to strictly enforce this, but what do you think? There's no way. Everybody keeps indicating that, like, oh, the people are going to, like, violate the bubble. Like, what happened to Lou Will before the bubble started? What happened to Lou Will? That's going to happen 10 times over, et cetera. I gave it 10 days before someone exited. This stuff is being policed like North Korea style right now. They are not letting in IG thoughts because you know what? IG thoughts don't give a shit about this bubble. So if you're a player's wife or a player's kid, you have a lot more invested in the success of this bubble. If you're an IG thought, you're hoping for the Instagram story to pop off, you know, James Harden or Devin Booker, one of these guys to call you in, and then you're gone. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if the whole thing blows up on your way out. As long as you're back at Orlando Airport, you're good. They're not going to allow this. There's going to be some proofing mechanism no okay hold on first of all you said this place is being policed like north korea that's exactly why they can be allowed because everyone who's coming into the bubble whether it's a player's mom or whether it's an ig model they still have to quarantine like you know that initial quarantine period probably have to test negative before they can interact with people like they're not letting these girls just run loose on the campus like the moment they get there like it, it doesn't matter who it is they still have to go through all this strict protocol so i don't understand why it'll make a difference whether it's someone's mom or if it's an ig because the point is between the time of test and the time of the next test that is essentially counting on good behavior what i mean by that is i'm not talking about entry into the bubble i'm talking about like once you're in the bubble you've been cleared you've been tested you, you could probably walk around and potentially even walk off premises. For example, Rashawn Holmes, who didn't walk off premises but was able to interact one-on-one with like an Uber Eats delivery guy. And he got caught. He got caught, but he could have brought the virus back if they didn't realize that. 
Well, he got caught and then immediately had to quarantine. So that's how you. Even with like, Lou Williams, he only got caught because Jack Harlow put that shit on his story. Like, there's so many things that they're, I think, getting a little lucky with, and that a look, players it, are listening. You think IG thoughts not getting wings at like 3 a.m. and she doesn't dude, care? And- look, if an NBA player leaves the bubble uh, and comes back, they're punished, right? Or not punished? They have to go through a 14 day. If a family member leaves, they're not letting them come back. That's that's going to be the rule. So I haven't that's seen. What they specified around that, but they're not going to be allowed to come back. You think if Savannah James is like, "Oh, I just got food for our kids, and I crossed the delivery line," they're they're not going to let her back. I mean, that tape will get destroyed, and they'll just you know hush hush brush it underneath the rug. Paul LeBron's down three two. So how are they going to enforce this? How are they going to enforce? Okay, we're not going to let. We'll let your mom come. We're not going to let an IG talk. Facebook memories. You should be able to show. You should be able to show a notification that this day eight years ago. You were hanging out with this person. There's an easy Dude. think about think about okay, there's only what four people allowed per person or something yeah, like that. And you could bring like a fifth person who's under 32 inches or something. Yeah. Um think about the top five people in your life, right? Would you not have a very simple and provable way that you knew them? Yeah. Definitely would, but Wouldn't. okay. Let me give you an example, right? What if a player's like, "Oh, this is my cousin," and okay, you don't expect someone to have pictures and just all this documentation of a cousin. Like, I can't like some of my cousins. I'm not going to be able to immediately pull something up and show it to you. But you're going to say, "Oh no, I don't believe that's your cousin" because you have no proof. Are you going to ask for a freaking like you know family tree? Are you going to ask for like that's what I'm saying? Like they could easily just bring a girl and be like, "This is my cousin," and what's the NBA going to do? They're not going to. They don't have the time, man, to go and do this like deep investigation into like what what kind of connections. <laughs> at you at the very least, you need a twenty three and Me test that matches. <laughs> no, I think I mean first of all, a cousin could be provable. Like even if you don't have a direct picture, maybe you have a picture with your mom and who's got a picture with her sibling, and then that's their kid or something to that effect. I <laughs> I just think it's gonna be. Here's the other thing you're not considering: these IG models, like the players, know who they are, right? Like. There's though there's especially for the stars, they're not just with anyone, they're with fairly famous models themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh James, I I didn't realize you would you've been dating this girl for so long and James Harden just walking is like, Oh yeah, we're very serious, we're about to get engaged. <laughs> like everyone's gonna know that's bullshit. It doesn't matter if they know or like my point is the NBA is not gonna filter out people based on this. Like it would be a huge problem if they're not letting someone like because one player is somehow going to have documentation of them with this girl some girl and then someone else is not going to have that and what you let one player bring in a same type of girl a same type of ig model and the other one doesn't like you it's just going to cause too many problems they're they're using this as a guideline and people are just going to bring whoever they want the other thing we have to acknowledge and maybe this is me coming over to your side is as good as people are with photoshop now and like you can get the <laughs> free agents in whatever jersey you want right away you could easily create photo evidence of basically anything yeah it, it's the it's really easy to do and they're not gonna require any extensive evidence i'm just dying but, to see some of these guys as like request list but here's the thing right like why is an ig model more of a risk than someone's like what if it's a player's brother who wants to like 
you know, you can't assume that a family is going to be more well. I mean, overall, yes, that makes sense. But the that's NBA the assumption. Can't be like, yeah, that's exactly it. The family would ultimately care more for the well-being of the league and for the player. You're making assumptions about a person based on a loose criteria, based on the fact that they're modeling on they, Instagram. They're making the assumption. That's why it's even. That's why it's even written into the rule like that, or the guideline, as you say. Yeah, but they won't enforce it. Look, you're making me sound like a get-off-my-lawn Karen type at this point. All I'm saying is I think ultimately they're maybe they won't check to the rigor that I'm saying, but I think there could be some, like, eyebrow-raising when, you know, you bring in the list. They and won't, like, man. There's not. The question, it's, look, it's the young guys. The young. It's not even about the big. I, like it'll be the young guys who are doing this mostly, and you don't know who they're bringing in. Like there's no documented history. They're young. They, like James Harden, fine. Snapchat. Maybe. It's yeah, just, they don't even have pictures. It's all yeah. Snapchat. It disappears. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think it'll be. They're gonna get away with a lot as long as they police it, and I think they should have a rule that if a family member leaves the bubble, they can't come back and court, none of that. They, they're just out. Like it should be a strict. Zero tolerance policy. The question I have, and this is something I brought up to you when they assigned the hotels, is why wouldn't you split up the three hotels? One, to prevent against an outbreak in one of your in your top team hotel. But two, wouldn't LeBron want his family to stay with him? If so, are they going to move certain teams out of the hotel that he's in? Because, Or is there excess capacity? You know what I mean? Because there's seven teams already in that hotel. None of them are going anywhere because those are like the top seven. Meanwhile, the Wizards Hotel is like barren. It's just tumbleweeds <laughs> kind of going through the hallways. So that would be presumably where they're putting all the ex- extra family members coming through. So I don't know what the arrangements are like, um, if they're going to put them in the same hotel or not. Because, look, these hotels have so much space. You could just give like another floor to families. Um a player or a couple floors to families of players. They could all theoretically stay in the same hotel as the teams. I don't know what they're going to do though. Um, do you see the Damian Lillard um, presidential suite tour? No. Oh man. Did he post? So, no, it was like the bubble life. Maybe he had put it up on a story or something like that, but apparently so four players per each team are designated for like the, Oh yeah. Yeah. They get the presidential better rooms. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, I think, yeah, of those there's, one like baller room which is what dame has and it's legit like easily easily bigger than my apartment probably twice the size of my apartment and it's got like four beds in there yeah so if he wanted his whole family could end up staying there too they could yeah um all right so let's get to the actual basketball wait we'll one thing happens. i i do yeah. want to talk about the 32 inch requirement which is really funny because <laughs> oh, yeah. clearly that's meant for okay a child I was reading on Reddit how 32 inches is, if you think about it, it's two feet and eight inches tall. Yeah. And something like the average, like, kids that are two feet, eight inches tall on average are, like, above one and a half, close to two. Yeah. These are NBA player kids or families. They're probably one or less. So I'm like, why do they have this such a specific rule allowing, like, kids who are one or below? It was very Like, why does that even matter? It was very odd. So I was 22 and a half inches when I was born to, <laughs> there to you go. a pair of non-Indian, pair, uh, non-NBA players. Very Indian, non-NBA players. So I'm imagining, yeah, like Kristaps' kid is probably like 
if he has a kid. I don't, I don't think he had one, but if he has one, he's seven foot three. He, his kid is t- crossing that 32 inch mark, maybe like at six weeks old at this point. Why didn't they just do an age thing? Th- that's why I don't understand. It's like um, it's like a ride requirement because what? So if a player has a their kid's 34 inches tall, but they're like eight months old, it's like nope, sorry. <laughs> or do you baby. recruit that player? Or you <laughs> you try true. to get him into like the early developmental leagues, eight months, yeah. 34 inches, and suddenly you have like a future. You know, pick and pop center on your hands. Yeah, they're using this as a way of uh, doing some early scouting on, you know, exactly. measurements of the the kids. But yeah, anyways, I uh, let's talk right. about actual basketball. Let's talk yeah. basketball. So we we talked eight seeds last week, um, covered it at the top. Now let's get into the teams that actually have a chance to. Oh, we didn't do um, our bubble awards. We got to do that first, really quickly. So the NBA is announcing bubble awards, which is pretty cool. They're just doing like MVP and like an all bubble team. So do you have a different MVP than Dame? Ooh. Uh, Two games ago, I would have. Booker? But yeah. um, Actually, you know what? I'm going to stick with Booker. I'll stick with Booker because I think it's just such an improbable story. And Phoenix... You know, you talk Portland actually still came in with an easy schedule. Like Portland had a pretty or no, no, sorry, Portland had a difficult schedule, but they did catch some breaks. Yeah. Um, I think Phoenix actually had some really tough teams they had to play at full strength, especially early on in the bubble. Yeah. And Devin Booker has been lights out and the consistent kind of uh force in that team. So I am more inclined to give it to him, but it's it's really I think a toss up between Damon and Booker. It's going to be Dame because even in the bubble, the narrative matters. Yeah, and, and 61, 51, like you can't, like there's nothing. Plus the trash do. talk, you know, public, publicized trash talk. Plus they got the eight seed or will likely get the eight seed. Now, what happens if they get the ninth seed and then, or sorry, the eight seed, but they lose to Phoenix? Does that change the voting? Can they still vote? I, it would absolutely matter for me. If that happens, yeah, but when are I they actually they doing sh- the voting? The I don't know. I definitely think they should include the play-in part of that because that, ultimately that's the scenario in which Booker can can yeah, talk. Like, and that's know, still the regular season, technically, yeah. right? So they should include that. I bet they will. Um, and look, Booker beat the Clippers with Kawhi and PG. Um, not a lot of teams have done that in the playoffs, or sorry, in the bubble, or even beforehand. I think the Lakers did it opening night, but the Clippers were kind of all over the place. And when, you know, Dame caught the Clippers, they lost anyway, but I think Kawhi didn't play and PG was like took off for the second half. And, and so when the Clippers have their guys, they're, they're nearly unbeatable, frankly. Um, Look, but, it's not just they had their guys. They had Kawhi played 37 minutes that game. Paul George played 36. I just pulled it up because I was like, it wasn't even just they played and, you know, they sat for a half. They were yeah. like fully engaged. That was a locked in Clippers team that yep. – they they were able to beat. So I thought that was impressive. Portland's had the first best offense in the bubble. Phoenix is fourth. What's impressive is Phoenix is also the fourth best defense, whereas Portland is second to last. And that kind of shows you there's other pieces around Booker. I think the same with Portland, but I think with Phoenix, other guys have stepped up more. Mikael Bridges has been awesome. Aiden's been good. Aiden's been great really really like 
a sigh of relief for a lot of Suns fans who watch Luca put up video game numbers every night. Um, you know, Camp Johnson has been good. So they've had they've had uh, support. I think the interesting thing with Portland is just, and I guess we can talk about this as it relates to the Lakers, is they just don't have any wings. So I'm not really sure what their game plan is against someone like LeBron. But okay, so I have Lillard, you have Booker. I reserve the right to switch based on playing. Um, okay. Who's your five-man All-NBA or All-Bubble team? So you got to start with, obviously, Dame and, and Booker, the guards. Now, I don't know. Did you want to do three forwards or two forwards in the center? Or I say we throw out positional alignment because everyone's playing all over the place and guys are in and out of the lineup. Get rid of just the five guys you think should be on this mm. team. Okay, so I am taking TJ Warren. Uh, I'm taking Don Luca, and I'm taking Michael Porter Jr. It might be a little high. I, he, I was thinking about leaving him on second team, but look, the way I think about first team is it's not just the best players in the bubble. I think it's guys who really elevated their game. Like you have to meet a certain threshold, like be really good, but also who. Elevated their game in a way that, um, you know, like TJ Warren's a perfect example of that. And I thought Michael Porter Jr. is a perfect example of that. Um, and he really came out of nowhere in terms of he had been having a solid season, but the 30, I think 39 point game or 37 point game um, had some big scoring outputs, became really a reliable secondary kind of third scorer for that Nuggets team. So he rounds out my five. So it's Dame, Booker, Warren, Michael Porter Jr., and Luca. All right. So I got to go. Everyone but MPJ. I hear you on MPJ. Um, you know I love him. If we're talking about just strictly points per game improvements, he was actually first in the bubble, but we shouldn't ignore Jerome Robinson on the Wizards was third. <laughs> I think he went from negative three to 11 or something to that effect. Um, I think a guy that's getting slept on and a team that's getting slept on, James Harden and the Houston Rockets. Yep. yep. When Harden's played... Like, they lost today, I know, but Westbrook was out. He went up, he put up 45, I think. And every time he's played, he's basically been awesome. That first game where they came back, I think, down seven with, like, 40 seconds left, they come back versus Dallas. It's just all Harden. He's unbelievable, and I, you know, I think he's got to be rewarded. We've gotten bored of his, his just his demeanor, his play style, and most of all, his production. But we should never lose sight of, like, the numbers this dude puts up. And they win. It's not just in just, like, you know, fake numbers don't contribute to winning. Another another reason I think it should be mentioned, Harden, is because, look, Houston, they were, in the seating-wise, they're kind of in that four or five spot. I know they could have moved a good amount, but um, a guy like Harden doesn't have to go as hard as you did. Like, for Dame... They need every single one of those games. But for him to be putting up 45 like, towards the end of the week, uh, end of the bubble games, like I think that's commendable, and I think it should be recognized. And he's a guy that he gets so much shit, but he puts in the work every night um, yeah. and comes out. So he's on my second team, but I totally understand putting him in the first. By the way, one note on TJ Warren, who we haven't really talked about as much, kind of got scrapped a little bit by Jimmy Butler yesterday. And yeah. now we get seven games of uh, Miami versus Indiana in round one. I mean, the Warren hype died down a little bit 
And I mean, let's be honest, this is an eight game sample. Okay. If I took eight, an eight game sample across every NBA season, I can come up with a Mike James. Remember when he went on the crazy scoring tear? I can come up with a Flip Murray when the Sonics opened up with him averaging like 25 a game. I don't know. I'm not saying TJ Warren is sanity. TJ, TJ Warren's better than all those guys. But at some point, you have to realize that some of it is a little, you know, small it's sample small size fluke. Yeah. And then TJ Warren's example, if he's coming down to earth when teams are kind of, you have a lockdown defender like Jimmy, or you're actually in a playoff series, especially when you're kind of gearing up for that, he's going to be a lot less effective. So it was a great story, but, um, but yeah, he's coming down to earth a little bit. This may be purely anecdotal. But does it feel like some of the performances in the bubble are like crazier than typical in terms of just scoring outbursts and shooting proficiency? Like, you know, Reddick had eight threes. Duncan Robinson's like he's never missed before. Is there anything to it or is it just that we're paying way more attention to what would essentially be random games that no one cares about in the real world regular season? Part of it is uh, we're paying more attention to it. The game, the competition's better, right? If you're playing the Knicks on a Tuesday night, your your starters are getting 30 minutes tops, like max, right? Yeah. Um, and now every every team, they're kind of these games are going down to the wire, so you're seeing your stars and some of these players play longer. But everyone's saying it's also a shooters a shooters kind of gym, right? Right. And may and I haven't actually. I wanted one thing I wanted to look at was just looking at the percentages overall and how teams were doing offensively, and if that yeah. actually was true. Are teams shooting better from three? Because I think part of it could be that some of these guys are just, and you know, without the crowd to psych you out, all you got to do is just play ball. And so some of these guys might be thriving under those. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know there's big splits for role players typically, home and away, and now those have all normalized and basically are good every night, or at least like somewhere in the median every night, but. I mean, the, right. here, I mean, I will say this. Look, the, the problem is we also hype up the really good performances. And then there's the Buddy Heels. There's the, you know, other shooters who are really good who have not really found their stroke. Um, I'm trying to think. There are some other examples. But so oh, part of it is just one. kind of selection. Let me give you wise. one. Rui Hachimura and Troy Brown Jr., <laughs> the future of the Washington Wizards, shot 7 of 30 yesterday against Milwaukee's, like, D-plus team. Exactly. So, I mean, there, there's a, you're not hearing about those players, but I think that it's a selection bias thing. Yeah. All right. So Monday is actually when the real playoffs start, right? Like we'll have the seeding teams and playing games complete. We'll kick off. We do know every uh, matchup in the East, Milwaukee versus Orlando, um, Brooklyn versus Toronto, um, Philadelphia versus Boston and Miami versus Indiana. In the West, there's still some things trying to be, you know, being sorted out, but almost definitely is going to be Clippers, Mavs, and Thunder versus uh, Rockets. And then the last one would be Nuggets versus Jazz. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, where do you want to start? I want to start with the Lakers. Yep. Um, let's play a game called Am I Crazy? So I'm going to tell you the statement. You tell me if I'm absolutely crazy to be thinking this. The Lakers starting lineup has the worst net rating of any five-man lineup in the whole bubble. Their last is a team in offense. They were struggling a little bit offensively before the bubble. Is it crazy to think they don't even meet the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals? 
It's not totally crazy. Um, now, because it's not because of the Blazers. I think where you run into some issues is with Houston, possibly. I think Houston is clearly the team with the highest, out of those lower seeds, you know, four and below, the highest ceiling. Um, but I do think some of the, 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 there's a lot of overreaction to what's going on with the Lakers. First of all, uh, they haven't had, they locked up the one seed pretty early. Haven't had much to play for. Um, and I think this is a, this is something we've seen with the LeBron teams in the past. They always kind of falter a little bit down the stretch. And we've seen this with a lot of the Cleveland teams. And there's questions that arise. And um, their biggest problem clearly is going to be their shooting, which has been a disaster in the bubble. Uh, we always knew this is something we've talked about on the pod several times. They don't have enough shooting. And now with Avery Bradley gone, that guard depth is even weaker than um, what they've had before. And Rondo, if Rondo does come back, he's not solving any problems. So I, I think there is some worry, but we've, t- we've talked about this. You have Anthony Davis and LeBron. The sheer pow- like, talent of those two guys is going to get you, I think, to the, the Eastern or Western Conference Finals. So I think Houston might push them a little bit, but I still don't see a reason to think they, they won't make the Western Conference. But yes. how, do you, how likely do you think that's going to They have two of the three best players in any series that they play in this entire playoffs, and likely the two best in a lot of them, right? Especially early on. Um, when it gets to Kawhi, when it gets to Giannis, is when there's other guys that are at the echelon of Davis and LeBron. I think I generally agree. I want this to not work. I rooting so hard against it and i think lebron toys with us where they struggle and there's all this like oh the world it's me against the world i'm the underdog washed king you know nobody thought i could do this west i mean he just needs those narratives to build up a little bit until he can like knock away all these these like you know hapless contenders i think the shooting is a is a concern but the other thing that i think is really a concern is sans lebron there's no shot creation on this team Mm-hmm. Um, Kuzma, uh, Kuzma has played well in the bubble. I'm not going to take that away from him. Kuzma is not a guy I want to count on to generate an open look that's efficient and likely to go in with 10 seconds left on the clock. Now I know LeBron is going to be the likely one doing that, but if they really don't trust anyone else on that team, they're going to run the hard double, right? They're going to pressure the ball out of Davis's hands. And just like we saw against the Nuggets, someone else is going to have to make a shot. Um, I worry, you know, the number of minutes that LeBron's not going to be on the floor is obviously going to dwindle as the series gets further into the playoffs. But six to eight minutes a game, that could swing a particular game, right? Um, Especially when you think about playing someone like Houston who could stagger Harden and Westbrook the whole game or someone like Portland who can do the same with Lillard and McCollum. And those guys have been playing 43, 44 minutes games for 44 minutes a game for two weeks. So they're kind of already rare and ready to go. Uh, But yeah, likely Lakers were just kind of coasting once they beat the Clippers in that first game, it was basically 0% chance they could relinquish the number one seed. So, yeah, I mean, I I think the other thing is um, you worry about, Part of the narrative is also usually if the Lakers have a tough uh, series against the Blazers, that might carry over into the next round. Or if they have a tough series against the Blazers and the Rockets, right, that, that's going to have a toll on them. There's no travel. There's no. Uh, there's fewer days in between games. So every team is kind of just following the same kind of rhythm. So I don't think that'll matter as much. Um, yeah. 
I, I do think that, like you said, the shot creators problem, when you have J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters are probably their next most <laughs> likely shot creators. They're not the best because you're playing with fire with those guys. But yeah. like, when those are the guys you're relying on to generate shots. And, and the other thing you mentioned, like Kuzma, he, they drew up that play for him at the end of that game versus um, Denver. Uh, Denver. Great. He hit it. Are they going to trust that? In you almost wanted that game? to not go in. Yeah, I, I just like that's it's cute when you run that play in, in, in a regulation regular season game. But guess what? In the reg, uh, in the playoffs, you're going to be running that play with LeBron and AD, and that becomes so much easier to defend. Teams are still not going to worry that much about Kuzma, uh, in my opinion. So, yeah, cool. I, I think they'll be fine. It'll be really interesting to see how close that Blazer series really is, because um, that'll tell us a lot. Yeah. Um, the other question. Is it crazy that the Clippers don't even need to play together as a full team once before this playoff start and they can still comfortably run to the title? That, I mean, that's how talented, that's how, um, you know, they short up their depth, depth pretty nicely over the course of the season. Uh, it's crazy, but it, I, nothing has kind of taken me off the Clippers train in terms of they're going to win the title this year. I haven't like seen they, it to make me not believe that. Even now, right, Lou Williams is back. Uh, Patrick Beverly is back. But those guys are not playing their normal minutes. Nope. Yep. Montrezl Harrell still hasn't played yet. Um, George and Kawhi seem like they're in a good position. They actually played real minutes tonight versus Denver. Um, they were out there at the end of the game. They played the whole game. So did Denver, actually. I think this was like the final tune-up. And so they're probably all going to sit on Friday. Um, but... I worry, but I also don't have a team that I could tell you is going to go usurp that position from them. We just talked about all of the Lakers warts. Are those necessarily less of an issue than what the Clippers are going through? I feel like I'd rather have the Clippers problem where it's just a continuity issue. It's not that they don't have every type of play when the actual complement of the roster is back, right? Even Zubach has been a pretty good rim protector. Mm-hmm. Um that was the big concern. How are they going to guard AD? And I don't think they're going to guard AD. I think AD is going to go bananas against them. But maybe it doesn't matter. Be okay with that. Yeah, maybe okay it doesn't with matter. Um, yeah, assuming full health, which you can't assume with this team, which has many issues as they've had, both in the bubble, throughout the season, and honestly their careers, right, when you look at some of the guys that they're counting on. So it's a tough assumption to make, but assuming full health, I, I don't see anybody beating them. I mean, what are their odds right now to win? I don't know, but I, I'd i take them pretty comfortably because I the biggest threat is probably going to be Milwaukee if they get past the Lakers. Um, so the Clippers are plus 310, which is actually third, at least on this site that I'm – looking at that's giving me like 17 different pop-ups now. Uh, <laughs> the Lakers are plus 260, and the Bucks are clubhouse leader at plus 250, which makes sense, right? You could argue they have the easiest route to the finals and therefore the best yeah. chance to win. Yeah, because you could argue the Lakers-Clippers could even be a, as close as a coin flip. So you'd yeah. rather take the team that's guaranteed to get to the finals. Um, no, my betting money is on the Clippers, man. I, you know, at the beginning of the season, I predicted Clippers-Sixers. Sixers definitely not getting there, um, but I think I think the Clippers. There's no reason why they shouldn't win, unless barring some major injury. 
Can Houston make real noise? No, I I don't think so. But why? I don't know. Actually, I, I haven't. I don't remember what happened with the Lakers Rockets matchups earlier this season. Um, I I think. Yo, look, Houston's done well against it. It's easy. It's too reductive to say Anthony Davis is going to you know, go crazy on Houston. Big men have been feasting on Houston all season long. Doesn't matter. That's Doesn't matter. I, I get that. So I, I don't know. Um, and, and once again, the guard, uh, the wings for LeBron, or not for LeBron, for the Lakers defensively are a weak point. That's why everyone talks about Dame and CJ lighting them up. Well, guess what? Now you have Westbrook and Harden to deal with. Who's guarding Harden possession to possession? Who are, Who's by the way, West? two better players as a c- combination than Lillard and McCollum. Exactly. So I, I think Houston does pose some real problems for LA, but I don't know, man. I I still I don't I'm don't feel confident in them taking even LA to seven. I think they'd lose in six. They need Eric Gordon at full health, and he hasn't played since he rolled his ankle early in this restart. And so I think the timeline on him at the time was like 14 days they were going to reevaluate, which means he may not even be there for a chunk of or the whole first round series. And honestly, I would do whatever they needed to do to make him healthy for round two. I'm not saying that they're a lock to walk over the Thunder. I think the Thunder could very, very easily beat this um, Houston team. But, you know, you have to count on Harden and Westbrook being able to lift you now. One thing we should mention, the Thunder would give the Lakers fits with that three-guard rotation with Chris Paul, the Wizard, just running circles around the Lakers' point guards. And with Steven Adams kind of able to neutralize, to some extent, Anthony Davis. Their issue is their lack of wing depth to guard LeBron, but they do get you know they do have Andre Roberson back, which is, you know, there's a bunch of good teams I just can't trust any of them to really say that one of the LA teams is going to fall short. Matchup-wise, they they match up very well. They just their problem is talent. Like just they're as good as they are, as well coached as they are. Their the depth of their talent is just not enough. And that so ultimately, talent wins out in these playoff games. Like the matchups matter to a certain extent, but you're not winning a best of seven series just because you can neutralize some of those matchup advantages you show in the first couple games. Like the yeah. Lakers will find ways to work around that, and then it's about talent. So. Like Dennis Schroeder is not swinging a series that involves LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Chris Paul. One yep. thing I think is interesting about the Thunder that I think it, it made it hard for a lot of team, a lot of fans and people around the league, league to wrap their head around how they're so good. Usually, you either have top flight talent or incredible depth. They sort of don't have either because Chris Paul's their best player and he's awesome, but he's not in that upper echelon top 10 in the league top 15 in the league maybe he's like fringe now um it's not like his prime you know new orleans houston uh, la days and after their six man rotation it really falls off yep you're counting on dort you're counting on basely you're counting on roberson or roberson that's questionable and so it's like very interesting to look at how well they've done, especially in the clutch moments of, of games when you don't really have kind of the superstar or the 10 deep rotation. Yeah, I and mean, that's stuff that will get more exposed in a playoff series where you don't have – you run out of guys who you can actually rely on. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I think Houston OKC will be pretty competitive. Like that series – 
even though I think we're both picking Houston to win, it'll be an interesting um, one to watch for sure. Yep. All right, let's flip it out east. Um, can Toronto repeat? Is that crazy? This one is not that crazy to me. I actually think repeat Toronto, titles, not just get out of the east. Repeat as NBA champions. Not totally crazy. I think it's possible. Um, look, they. You talk about a team built for the first of all. Obviously, this team is great in the regular season year after year. You talk about a team built for the playoffs. Like they've got everything. They've got the wing defender. They've got really good guard. Like guard play has become even better with how Van Vliet's, Van Vliet's been playing. Um, Mark Gasol, you know, and there's certain matchups he's he's going to be less useful in, but also great against Giannis. Uh, he'll be able to defend some of the bigs in the playoffs. So you've got kind of defensively, they're really, really solid. And then they've got a lot of guys on offense who can contribute and who've been contributing all season long and even throughout the bubble. So they're a team that just, to me, actually has fewer weaknesses than any other team in the league, like glaring weaknesses. Yeah. Um, maybe I think Milwaukee, their weakness is half-court set. Their weakness, yeah, their half-court offense. But, yeah. I mean, look, Siakam, we saw that he was actually a pr- pretty reliable shot creator in the playoffs for them last year. Like, I mean, Kawhi, obviously you have Kawhi, and so that eases oh, the burden. Oh, we on. just minorly had Kawhi. <laughs> Siakam. <laughs> but uh, I, I think, you know, Lowry has stepped up and made big shots. He's He's been a different player in the postseason after the last couple of years. So I think they just because they have no weaknesses, it wouldn't shock me if they won the title. Toronto, in some ways, is like outside of Oklahoma City, maybe the best story in the league, right? In terms of losing Kawhi, having a better winning percentage than last season, all those things. Nick Nurse is a fucking genius wizard, just in terms of the way he structures his defense, and also the guy, the way he coaches guys into those roles, right? It's not just schematic. It's like there's a motivator side of him that makes him. When you combine that with his like strategist side, he's like the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. And he's almost like a future pop in the making and, and like having both of those attributes. And I think he's the best coach in the league for my money. And I, I get that. And ultimately, though, I, I just don't – there's too many teams with better players. And you just said it yourself. You said talent wins out. Yep. I honestly think they're going to lose round two to Boston. Um, when you consider Boston's wings – I think they just have more guys than Toronto can defend. Um, Boston's being slept on a little bit because they had some uneven performances. There's way too much Brad Wanamaker involved. Kemba's knee after four months is still not right. But I really like offensively when they click, it's another level. When Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are making plays, Brown is he's better than what people are attributing to him as which is like a role player three and d guy excellent three and d but he's more than that i think he's a shot creator um you know he's a transition beast uh and hayward and walker to me are the two wild cards if they can play like the best version of themselves i actually see them not only beating toronto but giving milwaukee a real series boston has probably been the most slept on team in the bubble because we haven't heard that much about them no but they've gone what five and two uh, I think in the last seven games with the only losses against Milwaukee, a close loss against Milwaukee and a close loss against Miami. Yeah. Um, now they've played some easy teams. They've played Orlando, Memphis, Brooklyn, but 
they played really well and they waxed Toronto in the last matchup. Now you don't want to put too much stock into that, but you know, those guys that played. They played play. yep. and they from start to finish just uh um which one? Toronto had no answers for, for right. Boston's wing. So I, I do think that they're getting slept on a little bit and they will be a challenge for Toronto. But I just I worry too much about Hayward and Kemba, and I don't know how much you can rely on them. Um and so I would take Toronto's championship experience and just how well they've been playing all year. But uh I actually I'd be more confident in Toronto pulling off the upset against Milwaukee, weird enough. But yeah, uh, I guess. That's sort of how I see it. It's almost like a triangle where, like, Toronto is probably a more difficult matchup for the Bucks, but I think the Celtics are a more difficult matchup Some, for yeah. the Raptors. Exactly, despite Milwaukee being just a better yeah. team. Yeah. And so, ultimately, it's going to come down to that second-round series because the Bucks. For, first of all, you know, let's just talk about the Miami Heat now. The Bucks are no lock to get past Miami. Um I think Miami is going to beat Indiana. Um, you know, Indiana has been a great story again, overachieving with, but without Sabonis, without you know, uh, Lamb, with Warren, due for a, a regression. I just don't think they have enough horses to get past Miami. And look, Miami has a lot of guys that can guard uh, Giannis, yep. right? Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Andre Guadala, Bam, Bam, Bam Adebayo, Bam on him, yeah. right? And so. You can almost play a version where you never really have to put smaller guys on him that he's going to absolutely punish, um, or slow-footed guys like Kelly Olynyk or Myers Leonard on him. They just have that much depth across the board. You even have Derek Jones, who you know isn't a great defender, but he's a great athlete. So there's certain times that that matchup might make sense. I I think Milwaukee gets through Miami, but I think they're hoping to see Toronto and not Boston in that West Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Uh, Miami. I mean, all the second round matchups. You look. You could have uh, Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Toronto, L.A., Houston, and then Denver Clippers. It's going to be insane. Denver Clippers might be the worst one out of all those, and that's not even a bad matchup. So, uh, I, I like Miami's. The, the problem with Miami is they rely a lot on you know Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, these guys. Do you Too trust white. them in the playoffs? Yeah. Do you trust these white three-point shooters in the playoffs? Like, I mean, I know that Tyler Hero's been, you know, he's not just been a shooter, but Duncan Robinson is, he's been a souped-up Kyle Korver. And we Mike know how Miller guys are. Like won Kyle a Korver. title with your boy LeBron. Just Playing off LeBron. Dreams. I mean, that's not the same as, playing off LeBron the way it's not the same as playing off Jimmy Butler and, you know, Goran Dragic. But um, I think, but the biggest thing that Miami has going for them is that, Milwaukee gives up a lot of threes, so Miami can catch fire and win some games that way. And like you said, defensive versatility to throw at Giannis, which any team that beats the Bucs needs that. And I don't know if we should make anything of it, but in the bubble, opponents are hitting a lot of those threes versus Milwaukee. Um, to the point that their defense has looked pretty suspect. Um, you know, this has been their philosophy for two years now right which is funnel guys into the middle push them away because you have those like monster rim protectors and give up threes and is two years of evidence that they still have such a top flight defense is that luck probably some amount of it right but now that luck seems to be flipping because people are shooting lights out on this buck against this buck's defense yeah 
Yeah. So and and you worry about teams like Miami, who that falls right into what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm actually. This is the first year the East has been truly exciting, because as dominant as Milwaukee has been, I don't think anyone would be surprised if they. We haven't seen it from them yet. We haven't exactly. seen it from Giannis, and we haven't seen it from the Bucks. Um, you know. He hasn't had, he's now, you know, enter, this is going to be, or this is finishing up his seventh year in the league, right? He has not had a defining playoff moment yet, which it's okay. I mean, he's 25 or 26 right now, so it's not like anything needs to be written. He's a two-time, going to be a two-time MVP, maybe even a defensive player of the year as well. But he needs to have that moment. And isn't it so weird? I was going to bring this up. How weird is it and what other sport can you think of where a guy who's entering the playoffs as the two-time MVP, you would comfortably take one or two other players ahead of him (laughs) in the playoffs? Like to me, I would take LeBron and Kawhi ahead of Giannis in terms of I need one guy to win me a playoff game. Maybe I'm being too conservative with giving Giannis the crown. But it is weird that it's not a foregone conclusion. Well, MVP is always a uh, an early indicator because even when Kevin Durant won his MVP award, he wasn't known as a playoff guy, yeah. right? It's um, when LeBron won his first MVP award, he still hadn't gotten past the the Celtics. So I, I do think that MVP always comes a little bit earlier. Now, like you said, two time MVP, yeah. um, is a whole another category in its own. Like ignoring Steve Nash. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, I, and I think the, the problem is last year you had Kawhi fine. Kawhi is clearly was a top three player in the league years before that you had LeBron this year. What's your excuse? You have the, the Celtics who are, you know, not full strength. You have, um, the Toronto Raptors who are missing Kawhi. They have no star. You have Miami who's Jimmy Butler's great, but you know, he's not the same player he was even a couple years ago. He's not a good shooter anymore. Um, and yeah. so it, this is your league. You're the MVP. This is the most dominant team we've ever been on. If he loses this year, the narrative is going to flip. And we see this happen all the time where they're you're the, the darling of the media. And then you have that real collapse when everyone expected you to win and everyone turns on you. And then yeah. the heat's going to get turned up on Milwaukee and the rumors of him leaving for Golden State get started. So it, there's a lot of pressure on, on him to win this this season. Yeah. And at least make the finals. I think. Yeah, sorry. Make the finals coming out of the East. They can't lose before that because yeah. until then you have the best player. Period. Yeah. Cause even with Durant, right. When he won his MVP, he had already made the finals with the thunder, but he hadn't won. And it's like, it was okay. Cause it's like, he carried his team to the finals as a 22 year old or 23 year old. In the and they West. were underdogs. Like, and they're underdogs. And so some of those series. Yeah. And the finals basically. Yeah, uh, no, so they were favored in the finals. Go look up betting me. odds different than actual no, favorites. Favor. Or, betting odds reflect. It's, I use ESPN BPI. No, betting odds are bullshit because the Cowboys and the Yankees and Lakers every year have worse odds, or be, because they they're like legion of fans bets on them. That doesn't mean that they're any more or less likely to do that, well. The public money is usually on the superstars. By that logic, like if anything, Miami should have been favored. No, it's because it was all money that was scared of him shitting the bed like he did the previous season no it was anti-lebron money it wasn't like anything other than like you know who they thought OKC was, win. was really good that year so anyways we're not gonna go down this 
Um, yeah, but I agree. Giannis is in the crossroads. The Bucks are at a crossroads. Um, and I don't think he signs that deal this summer because he needs to see what the money situation with the CBA shakes out as. Like, we have no idea. I know there was a lot of numbers on how much would be lost if the bubble didn't go through, but we don't know how much they're going to make from it, how that's going to impact TV there money. There still could be huge cap implications. And, dude, so. next season, we have no they, – they're already talking about, A, is there going to have to be another bubble? B, are they going to have to push the start date of the season out to, like, 2021 because – Realistically, what is going to be different in December than different today? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. It's so it's not that far. It's the baseball model, right? Which is play in your home stadiums that are empty. Again, that's lost revenue, and then just kind of hope for the best and hope everyone like is responsible. Yeah, but I mean, we see how how well that works, right? Um, I look, Giannis. I think that's why they have to win this year. It's because. He's going to be hesitant with that contract decision, um, given all this uncertainty. But if they win this year, he's going to stay. I think he's just that kind of guy. Like he's yeah. not going to even jump. if he doesn't so. sign, it's going to be the handshake agreement. Exactly. That, hey, let's let me. I'll I'll re up when it's time. Exactly. To so uh, it's it's pivotal for for Milwaukee and kind of the future of the league. What happens here? Yep. All right. Before we go, uh, any final things that you're thinking about, or what what's the thing you're looking forward to most over the next week? So we'll have the play-in game Saturday, Sunday. Uh, we'll have playoffs starting Monday, and then we'll we'll talk um, sort of first reactions sometime middle of next week. I'm excited for the playing game. I think tomorrow's going to be fun just to see how it shakes out, uh, like you said. And then the playing game is going to be fun too because whoever if the eight seed drops that first game, you know you get a little on edge, and then the other team gets a little confident. It'll be nice to watch that um, something we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, other than that, man, I don't know. I'm just it's it's gonna be weird jumping into the playoffs and at least like the bubble has felt fine because at the end of the day it's still the regular season. But now when it's the playoffs and it still looks the same, the intensity from the crowd hasn't been ramped like ratcheted up. Yeah. That's what I think we're gonna start to miss it a lot more. Um, right. So I'm kinda worried about that. But yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's true, right? Because right now it's a regular season game. We're not expecting like crazy crowds. But when we are starting to expect that and it's not there, what's what's that gap going to feel like? I think for me, the number one thing is just like, what do these title contenders look like when the lights are on and when the games really count? Because we've seen flashes of brilliance. We've seen a lot of inconsistency, whether that's Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. We've talked about all these teams. Now that you have all the chips on the table, the games start to matter. There's no more load management. You know, there's no more coming in and out of the bubble. It's for real. Um, what type of team are you? And was the bubble rust real or just a a matter of circumstance? But and and when you talk about the top teams, like has there ever been a season in the recent past where both one seeds were a little shaky in terms of it's not inconceivable that they both wouldn't make it? I think every other year for the last several years. Mm-hmm. the top team has pretty much been projected. Yeah, One of the top teams would be projected to be in the finals. Yeah, and I think part of that is just the weirdest part about not having Golden State as like a staple. Yeah. Um, or a LeBron dominance. team in the East. Right, or a LeBron East team where it was much more straightforward path. And we've just lived in this. I mean, that's been nine years. One or the other has taken place. So it has been almost a decade. And I think that's going to be really weird. All right, so... Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Please email us. Give us your thoughts on you know, the bubble so far and what you're looking forward to in the playoffs at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. 
That's our show for this week, and we will catch up with you next week.